So today we are um, going to be talking, we're taking a little bit of a break, but we're not really taking a break from the topic, but um, we're studying the book of Revelation. And last week we finished up Revelation chapter 20, and Revelation chapter 20 was basically dealing with the millennial reign, and then the last, what we talked about last week was the great white throne judgment. And uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I would uh, encourage you to go back online and uh, Facebook and uh, whatever and uh, listen or watch that because it kind of rounds out the study on, on Revelation chapter 20. But we're going to be getting Revelation 21 and 22. And th- this is talking about heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And it's a very exciting study. Um, but before we get into that, I want to pause here a little bit more and I want to talk more about heaven today and specifically heaven's perspective of earth and we may think wow that's kind of a strange title Um, but i think that there are many misconceptions of what heaven is really like and more specifically on heaven's perspective of earth now I, i will agree that those that say well there no one really understands or really knows what heaven is like And I get that, because we really can't grasp it until we get there. And I also believe that many have no idea of the significant impact that having a proper perspective of heaven will make on your earthly living, your earthly life day to day. So as we look at heaven's perspective of earth, I think we're going to find that heaven is very concerned about earth. Because what happens in heaven begins on earth. Nothing happens in heaven unless it first begins here from our perspective. Not God's perspective, but from our perspective. Most people have little to no daily thought life about heaven, especially non-Christians. Of course, why would they? But I would say even many Christians don't really make heaven a daily thought. How much, how often do you speak or do you think, in your busyness of life, do you think about heaven on a daily basis? Not enough. Right, Gil, not enough. I, I think that often we get so wrapped up in the daily activities of living, and, and rightly so, but we forget that there's a bigger thing, there's a bigger reason, a bigger purpose of us being here. It's not just to gain all we can here on earth. It's to really be setting treasures in, uh, ahead in heaven. And I believe there's a lot we can know about heaven that leads into a heavenly lifestyle if we're understanding that we're just journeying through this life. This isn't our final destination, and this isn't all there is. I'm so glad that there's more to life. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, I heard a little story about a boy flying a kite. And this little boy went outside. It was a beautiful summer day, and it was a windy day, and he went out with, with a kite. And he went out into the field, and, and he started to fly his kite. And, and as he's flying it, he kept letting out string, more string, more string. Finally, he let all the string that he had out. And when he let it all out, he looked up, and he couldn't see his kite. It was out of sight. And not long after, a, a man walks by, and he walks up to this little boy, and he says, little boy, what are you doing? And the little boy says, I'm flying a kite. And the man looks up in the sky and he says, well, little boy, I don't see a kite. How do you know you're flying a kite? And the little boy says, because I can feel its tug on the string in my hand. And that's what heaven's like. We look up, we can't see heaven, but yet there's a tug 
and our heartstring that says heaven is there. It's real. And there's a tug in our heart that I want to know. I want to gain. I want to do everything I can in my life today that I can gain all that I can about heaven. So we may not feel it. We may not see it, but we certainly can feel it. The question is, are we? There should be a tart tug. should be a, a tug on your heart toward heavenly things if you're truly a believer. And, and, you know, that's kind of a good litmus test. I mean, if I'm not feeling the heavenly tug in my heart, then go back and examine your life a little bit and say, really, am I set too much on earthly things? Am I really set too much on what I gain here? And if you are, then ask the Lord to forgive you for that. I'm not saying that we don't concern ourselves about life here. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that what's our, what's our priority? Where's our perspective? So let's talk today about the tug of heaven in our hearts. Why should I have it? What should it feel like? And what should I do with it? These are very important questions. You know, for those that knew me when I first came back here in 2005... Um, I wasn't a pastor. I came to start a business with my dad next door. Pastor Rip was pastoring the church. And I was sitting under his ministry and, and enjoying it. And he gave me the opportunity um, a couple of years when I got back. I'm not sure exactly when it was, but I taught adult Sunday school class. We had Sunday school then. <laughs> we were old-fashioned. <laughs> I don't know. Things have changed, right? Uh, I, I miss Sunday school. I wish we still had it. But in that adult Sunday school class, uh, he allowed me to speak on a book written by Randy Elkhorn titled Heaven. And probably not many of you, were, if any of you, were here then. But that study, that book, changed my life. It changed my perspective on heaven. And, you know, I just really have felt the impact of it ever since that my reason my purpose here is not to gain all that I can not to leave an earthly legacy but to gain heaven and uh, as we begin now talking about chapter 21 and 22 of revelation that has renewed my interest here a little bit and i found a book uh, titled heaven made real by author tim sheets And in this book, he says this. He said, there must be something more to heaven if the Apostle Paul preferred it to life on earth. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. This is Paul speaking. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But then Sheets goes on to say, Yet most people think of heaven as some kind of old folks' home. They view heaven as nothing better than a glorified retirement village where you go when you're exhausted, everything good in life. You play harps and sing, but life there becomes a poor second to this world with its riches, glamour, and vitality. You know, the reality is, if truth be told, nothing could be further than from the truth. If that was heaven, if heaven was really about just picking up a harp and sitting on a cloud, 
I wouldn't be very interested in it either. That doesn't really interest me too much. But according to Scripture, God has placed the tug of heaven on our hearts because it's so much more than that. There's so much more to gain and to glean as we think about heaven. That that pull of heaven on man's hearts, I want you to know, is something that's not new. It's not unique to the fact that we're living in the end days. I really believe that we're living in in the end days, but that really has nothing to do with the pull of heaven because the pull of heaven was put on the hearts of men thousands of years ago. In fact, you have to go back, we can go back into the life of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and his heart was being pulled towards heaven back then, that long ago. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this in verse, beginning at verse 8. He says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him on the same promise. For he was, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham knew that there was more to life than what God was giving him, even if he was going to be going into the promised land, more to the, to life than living earthly. He knew there was a better place, a city built by God, an eternal city. He didn't have the Bible to read. He wasn't reading the Bible. He wasn't reading Old New Testament and the scriptures. He was, there was a pull of heaven placed in his heart by God, and he was longing to be in that eternal city whose architect and builder is God. And then we skip down a few verses in that same chapter. There are others as well. This is the faith chapter of, of, of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith. It talks about all those that lived by faith, but none of them actually saw what they were living for it didn't come to in their life because they passed on. But we lift, we could skip down to verse 13 of that same chapter. And it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. There's that pull Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had, hop, had, had opportunity to return. Instead, verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The purpose of sharing these scriptures today is to show us that our faith, like theirs of old, has an object. And that object is the reward of a real and final destination called heaven. You see, if they would have been distracted and tempted to think more about the country they were living in or the one they had just left, there's a good chance that they have may have returned to it when things got tough. They might have followed the breadcrumbs that they left and gone back to the, where they were. We, we hear it, in fact, even in the, the Israelites when they were in the in the wilderness, they said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? We could have gone, we, we want to go back to Egypt where we could have all the fish we wanted and the leeks and the onions and they were looking at the good life but forgetting the fact that they were in slavery then and it wasn't a good life at all. 
But God instead put a longing in the hearts of his people so that we would not give in to the temptation to give up and go back and to settle for this world, but rather we would have a perspective of perseverance and we would push through to the goal of living in a better country, an eternal city called heaven. So can you see the tug of heaven here? Can you can you see it? Can you feel it? Just like that little boy felt that tug of the kite string on his string, knowing that the kite was flying because he could feel the tug. Or if you were Pastor Rip, you could feel the tug of your fishing pole. <laughs> knowing that there's a fish on the end of that line because that fit, that pole is just bouncing, right? You know it's, you, you can tell it's not a snag because a snag just pulls, but there's no life on the end of that line. But you get a fish on that line, you can feel the life of that fish fighting for its life, right? What a fun feeling. So you can either fly a kite or you can go fishing. I don't care. But you're going to feel the tug, right? You want to feel the tug of the fish, at least. That's the goal. So Abraham sets a great example for all of us, reminding us that we are only travelers through this world, that we are journeys, that we're, we're pilgrims. We're on a journey and that there's an eternal home for us. And by this, he proved that that heaven, God's eternal city, is worth living for. It's worth it. It wasn't their final destination, and it's not our final destination on earth. But God has a better place in store, and no matter what it takes for us to get there, it's going to be worth the effort. You're not wasting your time. You're investing your time. There's no wasting in the kingdom of God, right? We already talked about that. We're investing in the kingdom of God. You know, it's it's so often we hear people flippantly say that people are in a better place when they die. And, you know, if, if your heart's not right with Christ... Can I tell you that you're not in a better place just because you die? Dying does not guarantee a better place. (laughs) The only thing that guarantees a better place is if you have a proper relationship with Jesus and that you have a proper understanding and a perspective of what heaven is. Then when you die, you clearly are in a better place. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the flippantly, the flippant, the, the way one would say it, and say, oh, they're in a better place. Well, we have to be careful there. We must consider ourselves strangers and exiles on earth in this present time we're living in if we really want to go to that better place that God has prepared for us. Let me give a a timely example of how we are to look at this, living in a country that we're living in, which is on a decline. Right. Even though we're fortunate enough to live in, in the United States of America, which is the best country in the world, I totally believe that. But yet we're not to pursue our patriotic duty to America as it being our foundation or our, our security, or that we become so attached to it that we would lose our faith and our hope as God being our foundational source. Not that we shouldn't be a good patriot and do everything we can to build this country back and to pray for it, but our country should never take the place of God in our pursuit of heaven. If it does, it will result in despair and frustration. 
See, we can easily become distracted and discouraged thinking that our best days are behind us. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. Our best days aren't determined by the country we live in that may be on on a spiritual and social decline. And we may even get to the point in this country where we are persecuted for our faith. Because there's an evil agenda that's driving our, our country today. We have given up our right to be called a Christian nation. We've given it away. Our best days are not determined by our country's destination. Our best days are determined by where we place our source of hope and our source of promise. We need to take on the perspective of the writer in Hebrews again, going back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. He says this in a Living Bible translation. He says, don't ever forget those wonderful days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you kept right on with the Lord, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were laughed at and beaten, and sometimes you watched and sympathized with others suffering the same things. You suffered with those thrown into jail, and you were actually joyful when all you owned was taken from you, knowing that better things were awaiting you in heaven, things that would be yours forever. What's a, I'm good with that trade. Now, I don't want to have to go through that. I, I'm not looking to suffer. I'll just be, I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm not trying to be a martyr. But yet I would, if I had to, I, I would willingly give up the temporary things of today for an eternal hope for tomorrow. My foundation, my source of joy is not here. It makes me happy, but it doesn't bring joy. Joy comes through my faith in Christ and that alone. Then the writer goes on to describe how we should live day to day, anticipating what God has in store. So continue on in that same chapter, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 35. It says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised, for in just a little while the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. Pastor Rip said it. You can don't ever get so weary you don't do right. You should never get so weary and that you can't do the right things. So don't throw away that confident expectation of what heaven brings. You only, you gain more of it the more you continue to do right in this life. So what should we expect heaven to be like? And how should that impact your life? How do we make this personal for us today? Well, most likely heaven is far different than one may think. And for that reason, maybe some of us have a hard time relating to having that heartstring tug that I was describing earlier. You see, if, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with, I don't know what that means, I don't know what that feels like, it's important to maybe let the misconceptions or the poor teaching or the imaginations that you have about heaven. Maybe you need to let them go and rather search for a biblical perspective, a biblical standpoint of what what heaven's really like, and that would encourage you to look forward to it. So, as we've already mentioned, man's notion of heaven, man's notion of heaven, the carnal notion of heaven is pitiful at best for two major reasons. Number one, 
mainly because we don't think of it or see it the way God does. We don't see things the way God sees things. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the first thing we need to do is realign ourselves, throw away the misconceptions that we have, and line ourselves up the way God thinks. And how do you do that? By getting into the Word. By studying God's Word. The second reason that I believe that men have a poor image of heaven is because it's one of Satan's strategies to keep us away from really seeing heaven for the good it is. He doesn't, Satan doesn't want us to have heaven as a goal that we would attain to. You gotta remember, Satan came from heaven. Satan came, he was probably the first and probably the best created angel in heaven, and he was heaven's best. So he understands it. He understands the goodness and the, and, and, and the glory that heaven brings. He knows the splendor of it all. But because of the pride that entered his life, he was cast out of it. And therefore, it's been, ever since that time, it's been his plan to keep mankind from enjoying something that he can't have any longer. He longs for heaven, but his heaven is that the one that he wants to be king of. <laughs> he wants to displace God from the throne, and he wants to take his rightful place or his unrightful place in heaven, but he longs for heaven. He just has a distorted viewpoint of what it is. And what he's trying to do is put that same distorted viewpoint into the hearts of men so that we're, dist- we're distorted in our viewpoint of heaven as he is. So he will do everything he can to keep us convinced that heaven isn't what God says it is. He will convince us that, man, guys, just go for the gusto in life today. You only live once, so go for it. Live it out. Party, hearty, all that good stuff. You know, that's what, is, that's what he would have us to do. And here's one another ploy that he'll bring to us. And the religious people really like this one because they buy into it big time. This is one that comes to the religious people in the churches. And you've probably heard the old saying that you can be so heavenly minded you're of no earthly value. Have you ever heard that? You're so heavenly minded you don't have a you don't you don't have a foothold on earth. Well, this kind of thinking is simply untrue. There's no basis for this. Because if, if that's what you're thinking, then it's actually robbing you as a Christian of much of the joy of living in the here and now. You can have great joy living today. The more you're heavenly minded, the more you can enjoy today. See, Satan uses this kind of thinking to shame us away from our hope and from the very things that God wants us to think about so that we can then have the encouragement and we can have the perseverance to press through to the end. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that we're to do something very important for us today. This is what he says. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Just the opposite of what Satan's telling us to do. 
We're to set our minds on things to gov- uh, above. And Paul understands that the ploy of Satan here is that he's trying to do everything he can to distract us from the tug of heaven. That little tug you feel, Satan's trying to say, ignore it. It's not real. This is real. What you see here is real. That's, that's, that's just uh, imagination. Satan wants us, he wants to destroy God's heavenly perspective, and he wants to replace it with a twisted version of his own. And Paul encourages Timothy, his spiritual son, to protect himself from this temptation, from this twisted nature of the evil one, and this evil perspective. And he, te- and he tells Timothy, he says in first chapter, first, first Timothy chapter four, he says, watch your life, Timothy, and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and others. So don't let the enemy twist your perspective, Timothy, or you or me, but set your hearts, set your minds on things above. So if we clearly understand heaven, we will be more focused and we will be more productive on earth as we are looking forward to that awesome experience in heaven that comes. You know, and that's the very purpose. We have a we have a, a, a mission statement here that we established back in 2012, and some would say we should renew it, but update it. But I kind of like it. It says that we are to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And it may sound a little confusing, but what this means is that the more we understand heaven's economy system, that would help us better understand how we live today. Because heaven's economy system begins on earth. The more I'm heavenly effective, I, can, the, I mean, I, the, the only way I'm really heavenly effective is I'm relevant on earth. It starts here. My effectiveness starts here. My relevance starts here. And then that makes me effective in heaven. How do I know that? Because Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But here it is. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we need to understand that the only thing that we can take with us to heaven is what, we, is what we've already sent ahead while we're here on earth. The casket is empty. The casket is just a shell of a body. But if we want something in heaven, we have to send it, we have to, have to send it in advance. It, it goes before we take our last breath here on earth. You see, once we're in heaven... We stop creating. While we're on earth, we're in the image of God creating things. Not creating from nothing, but we're creating rewards. We're creating good works. We're in the, in God's image being a, a creative person living and doing and working in the kingdom. And when we're doing that, we're laying up treasures in heaven. But as soon as I take my last breath, I'm out of the creation phase and I'm into the reward phase. Of life, because I can't do any, I can't do anything in heaven to create another reward. My rewards are created now while I'm on earth, with the perspective of heaven as my the time where I will enjoy the rewards. But my productivity here on earth begins the economic system of heaven. Then, does that make sense? You see, there's coming a time, folks, where we're going to stand before Christ in judgment. 
But our judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, where every believer will stand before Christ. Last week, we talked about the great white throne judgment. That great white throne judgment is not for believers. It's for sinners. At the end of all time, at the end of the millennial reign, at the end of the... um, time where Satan has been released one more time to go into the earth to to try to deceive as many as he can for those that survived and lived through the millennium, the flesh man, those that lived in their human nature. After that, there will be a resurrection of the dead again, but this will be the resurrection of the evil dead. Remember, we, the church, the redeemed, we were resurrected at the rapture. Whether we're dead or alive, we were resurrected at the rapture. We are then in our heavenly bodies. But those that lived through the tribulation and entered into millennial reign are still in their human bodies, and they still have life to live as humans, not us. So don't get confused between these judgments. But there is a judgment seat of Christ, and that happens after we're raptured, probably during the seven-year tribulation, that's happening on earth, we will be judged by Christ by the works that we've done in our bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We're going to be rewarded, folks, for what we're doing today. While we're in our body means today. While we're alive, the works that we're doing, good or bad, we will be rewarded for or we will lose rewards for. Listen, I don't understand all that, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. I'm just reading the Bible, and the Bible says that when I do good things, God records the good things, and I will be rewarded for that. When I don't do something, that sin of omission is a sin of, there's a sin of commission and a sin of omission. The sin of commission is what I've done. The sin of omission is what I should have done that I didn't do. God's given us opportunities every day. And we may be risking rewards if we don't do what he's asking us to do. You feel that tug in your heart to pray for somebody, to reach out, to help somebody? That's God giving you an opportunity to put a reward in heaven. You see, and this is not selfish preaching. This is not, there's no selfishness here at all because the only way that I'm going to have a reward in heaven for myself is if I do something for somebody else down here on earth. If I'm working hard for other people here, I'm put, I'm sacrificing my own self here because I am gaining a reward there. Does that make sense? So going back to the old saying, that one can be so heavenly minded they are of no earthly value and then also to our church statement our bishop statement that we are to be heavenly effective with earthly relevance these mean something now to us they mean something differently now I hope but I want to stop and say something here before I go any further I got to stop and say this I want to make this caveat here because when we go to heaven when we take our first breath of heavenly air We're going to see Jesus. Think of that. You're going to see him face to face. That in itself is worth being in heaven for. If there was nothing else, that in itself is worth being in heaven. 
But in the economy of God, in his goodness, he wants to give us more. He wants to give us more than just the fact that we can see Jesus. And that's what makes God so special, is that God says, no, I have more things in store for you, but I'm waiting for you to do the work to gain them. That's like we started the service off this morning about going to the river, right? We have to get up and go to the river. If we go to the river, he'll meet us there, but we have to get up and go to the river. I don't have the time to talk to you about it, but if you didn't, go back on Facebook. I put a post on this week about being a pilot, co-pilot thing. Go listen to that. See, if, if I, the old bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot. Nonsense. God is my pilot. And I should be happy being a co-pilot. Right? Go back and listen to that and understand truly what it means to have the right perspective of heavenly things. I'm not in charge. It's not my plan. It's not my goal. It's God's plan. It's his goal. And I'm just going to follow him in it. And I'm going to be very contented being a co-pilot on my desti- on my trip to my destination. I, don't, I can't do it better than God. So why am I even thinking I can? That's just nonsense. So if God is going to give us rewards, then we need to be working diligently to gain the rewards. Okay, just let me say that. Even though our... Even though the best thing in heaven is going to see, be seeing Jesus, I want you to know God's got more for us. So that's why I say this next statement. Heaven is only going to be as grand as we make it while we're living on earth. This gives me an eternal purpose to live every day for Christ. This makes it a reason why I, I put every effort I can into doing with excellence the things that God has called me to do. We're, we're going through a gift study on Wednesday nights. Pastor Rip is leading us in the gifts of the Spirit, the seven motivational gifts that we have. This is what we're talking about. This is why we know what our gift is, and we work at it with all of our heart, because that's what God has gifted us to help us gain earthly people, earthly productivity to be rewarded forever in heaven and to be rewarded in heaven. So really, in simple terms, the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you can be. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you can be. Maybe you haven't thought about it that way before. But the more I think about heaven, the more I'm actively working in the kingdom today. Uh, so let me just say it this way. How you view heaven, how you view heaven can mean the difference between living a life of frustration and running in circles here on earth or one that offers true satisfaction and rewards, even while we're living in this life. Let me, let me give you an example. We, we, typically, there are, we live in this world in one of two camps. And they're opposite camps, typically. First, the first camp is one where life is awesome. That we're blessed with finances. We have good health. We have great family relationships. We have a great career. Everything is going good. Basically, life just couldn't be any better. 
Or the other camp is life is miserable. You know, I'm in a season of life right now where nothing is going well for me. Money's tight. I can't pay my house payment. Um, I have multiple health issues. Maybe my family is at, is struggling with things. Maybe I, we don't have good family relationships. Maybe I hate my job. And basically life just can't get any worse. So can I encourage you today that no matter what camp you're in, God is in control of it. Jackie, would you come please? So here's my encouragement. If you're living on the top of life's mountain, don't place your trust and faith there. If you're living on the top, if life can't be better, don't place your faith there. At the same time, if you're living in the deepest valley of life's misery, don't lose your faith there. Don't place your faith in anything that this earth will give you, and don't let this earth take away your faith in anything when life gets bad. This is what it means to keep our eyes focused on Christ. This is what it means when we truly have the right perspective of heaven while we're on earth, and it will give you a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of it's worth it, a life of purpose, even when things are going terrible, even when life sucks. Can I say that word in church? Even when it's that bad, we can still have a purpose. We can still have a joy. Because I'm not making my joy based upon what I see. My joy is in things that I don't see in heaven. And Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I love this verse. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, this doesn't minimize life struggles. Rather, it puts them in proper perspective. Life struggles puts heaven's perspective of earth in place when our, in our hearts because they emphasize the tug of heaven's heartstring. Life struggles show up more and show off more of God's glory. When I see the things of this life giving me a hard time, because my hope and my faith and my trust isn't based on this life, it only shows God's glory more when he reveals himself in the midst of my struggles. And what it does is that it, it gives me the perspective of working hard today in the hard times where I'm anxiously waiting and working productively on earth as I'm looking forward to that glorious day when we finally see Jesus face to face. And we hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful. <laughs> I can't wait. But the only way I'm going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful, is if I'm good and faithful. I can't be lazy. 
I can't be blaming people for all my problems. I can't be blaming the world for everything. And I can't put my hope here and then expect God to say, well done, Mike, you did a good when I didn't do good. And I'm not earning my salvation when I say that. So don't go down that path. My salvation is in Christ, but yet he's given me the responsibility to get to the river, to get to the river where the water's flowing. That's what we need to do. That's my encouragement to you today. Get up. Get to the river. Don't let life's excuses keep you where you are. That's why church is so important, guys. This is why coming together like this is so important. And that we we often forfeit this because we want to sit home and we want to do the things that we think we want to do. We want to be the pilot. God is the pilot of the church. And we're going to talk about that next week, actually. Because heaven is described by God's description of the church. We'll talk about that next week. But let me ask you today. Are you longing for the day that you see Jesus face to face? I mean, is that a tug in your heart? Does that give you a hope and a purpose to live more and more in the days that we have left? I hope so. God has got so much in store for us. He loves us so much. The goodness that he has for us is we can't even begin to understand it. But we can live in it today. And and he can give us great hope and great peace. So if you're struggling today with anything, put it in proper perspective. Put it in heaven's, in heaven's perspective. Let heaven's perspective of earth change your attitude. It may not change your struggles, but let it change your attitude towards your struggles. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we are so thankful, God, that you love us as much as you do. Boy, it would be frustrating to think that I serve a God that doesn't love me. But I'm not. I'm serving a God that loves me so much. And Lord, sometimes we go through hard times in life. I pray that our hearts would not be discouraged. I pray that we would see that you are working through the hard times to bring us into a closer relationship with you. God, because our relationship is so important. And and maybe we're going through the struggles because maybe our relationship isn't what it should be. And maybe you're allowing those things to happen to kind of wake us up a little bit. So I pray, Father, that we would be woken up. Not woke. Woken up. To what you have in store for us. That we would truly be looking heavenly that we would be gazing at that kite we can't see, but we can feel the tug. We can know it's there. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us in this today. For those that are struggling, God, I pray that you would just give them an extra measure of grace today, an extra measure of hope and love, whether you're here or whether watching online, whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. God loves you, and he wants the best for you. Keep seeking him. Keep seeking Him and His purposes. 
and watch him work. Watch him work out the details of your life. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Would you stand with me and and let's uh, sing the song that we're, Jackie and Tom are playing. You know, this may seem like a strange song to sing, that we would ask God to dim our vision. But you know, as we dim our vision to the wrong things, it will make the right things brighter. Dim our vision to the pull of this world. And brighten our vision towards heaven, is what we're praying here. Amen? That we're asking God to take away the pull, the lure of the riches and the things of this world and really understand what he has for us in heaven. So we're okay that we grow dim in our sight of earthly things because we want to grow brighter in the light of his glory and grace. Jackie, let's sing that again. Okay, let's sing it again. Father, I pray that you give us the right perspective this week as we go. As we go into our homes and our jobs this week, I pray, Lord, that you keep our perspective bright on heaven, that we, you would allow us and help us in our times of dealing with the struggles of this life, that we would keep our eyes focused on Christ, that we would keep our eyes heavenward, 
Lord, and again, not ignoring the problems of life, but Father, I pray that you would come through in the problems of life with a glorious victory, that we would know that it's only you that have accomplished it in the first place. Be our pilot this week, and let us be happily be your co-pilot, I pray. Happily, Lord, we trust you with the navigation of our life, knowing that you're keeping our wings straight and level as we're flying to our destination, and we're doing the right things in the hard times and in the good times. We pray blessings on your people today. We thank you for all that you've done and will continue to do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed as you go today.